Welcome to the No Neutral Moments Podcast. My name is Patrick Payton, and it's my pleasure to discuss, to explore, and maybe even to discover what it means for each one of us to live our lives fully engaged, to challenge each one of us to be fully aware, and completely expecting to engage to the fullest everything we've been designed, called, and gifted to be. So with all this in mind, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get engaged. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the No Neutral Moments podcast. My name is Patrick Payton. I've been your host, and I'm still your host, and it's good to be back with you after a um, little bit of a break through July. And and a break in July has kind of been my habit for a long time. I started that as a uh, kind of a sabbatical month when I was pastoring, and uh, you know, I'd take about three weeks in July and I'd go off and study and try to get ready for the next year. And after the kind of year that we've had, uh, really, uh, this past July, we tried to lay a little bit low and then get back with some some new content for the No Neutral Moments podcast. And, and I was thinking about uh, sponsors and people who have helped sponsor the No Neutral Moments podcast, and we have some sponsorships that we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead. But I was actually thinking about the fact that m- my company that I have, which is, you know, we have the No Neutral Moments brand. And then I have a company called the Peyton Group, and quite frankly, the Peyton Group kind of funds the majority of everything I do, and some of you don't even know what the Peyton Group does, and I thought I would just say, you know what, this podcast is brought to you by my company, the Peyton Group, and that might sound a little self-serving, but it's also how we get things paid for and how we get things done. But I started the Peyton Group uh Really, after I finished my pastoring career, and remember before my pastoring career, I was in a different career in the quote-unquote regular world uh, in marketing and development and product representation, and um, and I had written down quite a quite a long time ago what I wanted the Peyton Group to be because I I knew what consultants were, I knew what coaches were, I'd watched um, different consultants come into companies and do their shtick. If you know what I mean, they kind of had their thing, they had their test, they had their way of doing things, and they were going to take you through their conversation pieces. And I did not know what it was going to look like specifically, but I knew at its core, I wanted the Peyton Group to be a little bit different, well, substantively different than what most of these consulting performance groups were. And my my image for that was watching uh, coaches who helped professional athletes, whether that's in golf, whether that was in football, or whatever that case might be, because I noticed most of those coaches who were the best at what they did and who worked with the best in their field, those coaches would get smoked by the players they were coaching. But the reason those coaches had been hired by world-class athletes was because these world-class athletes needed a new set of eyes, a new opinion, and someone willing to tell them the truth. And so that's why several years ago I wrote down that the Peyton Group would be a leader in, and here's a strategically chosen word, concierge coaching, consulting, and as a matter of fact, even counseling. And I wrote down this phrase, you don't need everyone else's journey. You just need someone to help you be the best in your journey a holistic approach to coaching and equipping your best people or even you so you can lead your best team into your best future. So anyways, if you're interested in what we do at the Peyton Group, it is it is very concierge. It is very 
uh, specific to you. Uh, we don't walk in with a, like I said, a shtick. And we may not even fit you. We may not even fit your company. You may not even like the way we do things because you want something more programmatic and you don't want to spend the few weeks getting to know each other. But if you're interested in what we do at the Peyton Group, uh, you can email me at patrick at Peyton Group LLC. That's P-A-Y-T-O-N, Peyton Group LLC dot com. Or you can even send me a text or give me a call at 432 230 2425 432-230-2425. So enough of the over four minute uh, commercial about my company. And now I want to move forward into, it's going to be podcast episode number 78. And so I'm excited about diving into this with you. I can't believe uh, that we're already 78 episodes into this, you know, over a year into these podcasts. And I thank you for listening and hope that you'll continue to uh, pass these podcasts on to more people. So I'm going to begin this new season with um, a discussion on a word that is overused and misunderstood in most circles. And, and that is the word or the issue of purpose. And I'm already telling you it's overused. And the reason it's overused is because it's become a buzzword in business circles, and I'm not sure where to trace it back to. I know that Stephen Covey, and you've heard me talk about his book a hundred thousand times. I know that Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, really talks about your purpose. An author named Rick Warren, who talked about the purpose-driven church and then the purpose-driven life. Millions of people studied the purpose-driven life, and then probably most recently. Simon Sinek, in his work on um, Start With Why, probably his most important work of all the things he's written. So purpose has become a big deal. What's your purpose? Have you identified your purpose? And as I was preparing for this new season of podcast, I came across a couple of quotes. And and if you could see my journal, what I do is basically keep several pages for uh podcast musings and what might turn into a podcast. And here's a couple of the things I wrote down that that really continued to lead me down this road of where to start. One of the quotes is from Benjamin Franklin, who says, there are three things that are very hard. And what he means by hard is, you know, like hard, like a rock. And this is what he says the three things are. Steel, obviously. A diamond, And then Franklin finishes that quote by saying, and to know one's self. There are three things that are very hard, steal a diamond and to really truly desire and find a way to know yourself. Perhaps you have heard of Friedrich Nietzsche or Nietzsche, and many people have heard of him. Most have not read. They've only heard excerpts, but here's a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche. Of all the mines of treasure, one's own self is the last to be dug up. That's pretty deep when he's saying, you know, a lot of times we we go about finding answers to everything else and to everyone else, and the last person we look into is ourselves. And so I would say of all the issues that I I attempt to help people with in consulting and coaching and counseling through the Peyton Group, I've really come to what I would consider a hardcore conclusion that the one matter that's most fundamental to people's personal and professional excellence and success is the issue of finding and identifying purpose. 
I'm going to go in a direction here. I hope you've stayed with me this far that I don't think you're going to expect me to go. So I hope you'll stay with me. But as I've come to this conclusion, I'm I'm also convinced that purpose becomes this, this unnecessary mystery. And, and the reason behind that is because the reality of purpose, my purpose, your purpose, even your company's purpose is oftentimes lost in the complexity of, of what I would call competing self-interests. So I'll give you some examples. We confuse purpose with desires and dreams, our wants and ambitions. So the things we think we deeply want to do, uh, we think that's a purpose, and we wrestle back and forth between that. I'm going to submit to you in a moment, well, I'm going to submit to you right now, and for your consideration, that once you find your purpose, it never changes. So think about that for a little bit. And I think it never changes for your company as well. We sometimes confuse purpose with gain. And I'm not going to say that's an American thing. I'm going to say it's a human thing. We, we, we sometimes think we're on purpose because we make money or we think we're not on purpose because we lack money. And, and so we confuse, we, 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 we confuse purpose with financial gain or is purpose tied up in my financial gain? We confuse purpose with business ambitions and goals. And I would submit to you that most of our ambitions and goals are subservient to the greater purpose. And, and the last thing I, I kind of meditated through was we have to come to believe, we've come to believe that there's multiple purposes in life. And, and this is where I think the problem is. And and so um, I'm going to probably turn you off a, a bit, but when it's all said and done, How's that for a catchphrase when it's all said and done? I personally have become abundantly convinced there's actually only one purpose for all of us. And it's at the root of what we're designed, called, and gifted to be. Now, I know that's a huge statement. I mean, I just said to you, I am going to submit to you that there's really only one purpose that should drive everything. So, I started with some quotes. Let me give you some other quotes, okay? And again, these were just things I came across in my study and time away from you in this podcast. Martin Luther King Jr. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Let me read that again. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? J. Oswald Sanders writes, true greatness true leadership is found in giving yourself in service to others, not in coaxing or inducing others to serve you. True service is never without a cost. We must aim to put more into life than we take out. Now, the the next quote, I'm fairly sure of where it came from, but I could not confirm it. I just remember this quote was in my sales training back in the early 90s. And the quote went like this, I experience more joy and discover more happiness in my life when I stop trying to get what I want and I start helping others get what they need and what they want. I experience more joy and find more happiness when I stop trying to get what I want and I start helping others get what they need and what they want. How about this quote? And I know you're like, really quotes? Wait till I get to the next thing that I'm going to read to you. 
So here's a quote from Samuel Bringle of the Salvation Army. This was back in the day when, when the Salvation Army had revivalists that would travel, and he was one of them. And this is what he said. One of the outstanding ironies of history is the utter disregard of rank and title in the final judgment that men pass on each other. The final estimate of men shows that history cares not an iota for the rank of title a man has borne or the office he has held, but only the quality of his deeds and the character of his mind. Now, I'm going to ask you to bear with me because I'm going to do something that's probably going to turn a number of you off, but I hope you'll stay with me. I'm going to read a fairly long excerpt from what I believe to still be next to the seven habits of highly effective people, maybe the most important undiscovered book on servant leadership that's out there in the world today. Big statement, bold statement, but the more I pick it up, the more I think that it is really, really something that must be read. Servant Leadership, A Journey into the Nature of Legitimate Power and Greatness by Robert Greenleaf. Now, this book was published in 1977, and most of what's written in the book came from speeches that Robert Greenleaf gave about servant leadership. So you're talking about thoughts that were formed in the social milieu, so to speak, of the 60s and the early 70s. The reason I'm reading this to you is because of how prophetic it is, and probably to help us to see that there's not much new under the sun, as the wise Solomon said, and we're still de- still dealing with this is- these issues, maybe more so now than we have in, in recent memory. So bear with me. I'm going to try to conversationally read this to you as I continue to try to make the case for you that there's really only one purpose for us to pursue. Greenleaf says that a fresh critical look is being taken at the issue of power and authority. People are beginning to learn to relate to one another in less coercive and more creatively supporting ways. Now, here's where he starts to pick up with some pretty hefty stuff. He says a new moral moral principle is emerging, which finds that the only authority that deserves allegiance is that which is freely and knowingly granted by the led to the leader in response to and in proportion to the clearly evident servant stature of the leader. In other words, we're not going to let people lead us until we find out they will serve. Those who choose to follow this principle will not casually accept the authority of existing institutions. Pretty significant words in the early 70s. Rather, they will freely respond only to individuals, and you could say institutions, who were chosen as leaders because they are proven and trusted as servants. Now, he goes on to say this. He goes, I'm mindful of the long road ahead before these trends, which he sees so clearly in the 70s, become a major society shaping force. We're not there yet. And then he says, but I see encouraging movements on the horizon. Bear with me and listen to what's said. Remember, penned and thought about, thought about and penned in the early 70s. So what direction is this movement towards demanding servant leadership going to take? Well, Greenleaf says, well, much of it depends on whether those who stir the ferment are going to come to grips with the age-old problem of how to live in a human society. 
He goes on to say, I say this because so many having made their awesome decision for autonomy and independence from tradition. In other words, throwing tradition to the wind and having taken their firm stand against injustice and hypocrisy, find it hard to convert themselves into affirmative builders of a better society. Okay, I'm not going to read that again. But I want you to think about what he's saying. He's saying there's a lot of folks out there who are trying to throw tradition aside. And it's easy to say that it's not working, but it's another thing to serve and become an affirmative builder of a better society. How many of them are going to seek their personal fulfillment by making the hard choices and by undertaking the rigorous preparation that building a better society requires? Well, he says, It all depends on what kind of leaders emerge and how we respond to them. So he says, my thesis that more servants should emerge as leaders or should follow only servant leaders is not popular. It's much more comfortable to go with a less demanding point of view about what is expected of one. Now, there are several undemanding, plausibly argued alternatives to choose. One, since society seems corrupt is to seek to avoid the center of it by retreating. Okay, I'm going to stop because you've checked out a little bit, and I need you to pay attention to this sentence, okay? He's saying if we don't pursue servant leadership, here's what's going to happen. Here's one of the alternatives, okay? So now that I got your attention again, he says, since society seems corrupt, how much have you seen that in our culture these days? Then what you can do is avoid the center of society, In other words, pushing into it by retreating to some idyllic existence that minimizes involvement with the system, in quotes, with the system that makes such withdrawal possible. In other words, you say, I'm not going to be in the system. Then there's the assumption that since the effort to reform existing institutions has not brought instant perfection, the remedy is to destroy the institutions completely so that fresh, new, perfect ones can grow. But... Not much thought seems to be given to the problem of where the new seeds will come from or who the gardener is to tend them will be. The concept of servant leadership stands in sharp contrast to this kind of thinking. I'm going to say this again. We're talking about something written in the 70s that could have been written yesterday. That people think that you can just throw things to the side and some idyllic thing is going to happen When the reality is, nothing good will happen without this concept of servant leadership. Bear with me, just a couple of more paragraphs. Greenleaf says, Yet it is understandable that the easier alternatives would be chosen, especially by young people. Now listen to what he says about education. We extend education to so many so far into adult years that normal participation in society is effectively denied when young people are ready for it. In other words, they stay in school so long and they start and they study so long, they don't get involved early enough with education. That is preponderantly abstract and analytical. It is no wonder that there is a preoccupation with criticism and that not much thought is given to what can I do about it? Now, what he's talking about is how for even today, if we were to rewrite this today, For 40 years, since the 50s and the 60s, for 60 years, we have taught people how to manage, not how to lead and to serve. He goes on to say, last paragraph, criticism has its place. 
but as a total preoccupation. It is sterile. In a time of crisis, like the leadership crisis we are now in, if too many potential builders are taken in by a complete absorption with dissecting what is wrong and by a zeal for instant perfection, then the movement so many of us want to see will be set back. The danger, perhaps, is to hear the analyst too much and the artist too little. Crazy stuff. I mean, if I had not told you where that came from, I could have read it and then told you that I just read this article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. But this one purpose of which I'm speaking to you about, this is me talking, this I'm not reading anymore. This purpose that I'm talking about and have become committed to is the purpose of servant leadership. If you'll remember when I started, I I told you of the issues I attempt to help people with in consulting and coaching and, and even counseling. I've pretty much come to the conclusion that the one matter that is most fundamental to personal and professional excellence and success is the issue of purpose. And I still believe that to be true. Perhaps I would describe it to you as simply serving others before pursuing self. Maybe it's pursuing personal satisfaction through serving others first. I even, I even thought about it this way. If you want to be spiritual about it, and I'm all about the spiritual, you might say it's doing unto others first what you would want to be done to and for you, or perhaps in a deeper spiritual sense, it's loving God. It's having a healthy soul, and you know your, your company has a soul too. It's called your company's culture. So is there love? Is there compassion? Is there reverence? Is there respect? And then loving others, which is a healthy outward expression of a healthy soul, both as an, indiv- as an individual and as a company. Now, I know what some of you profound business leaders are saying. Well, my company's purpose cannot be simply to serve. Really? Really? Name me one company that the most important thing should not be to serve. Now, you may say, well, we have to make money for our shareholders, for the people who are invested in us. Exactly. But is that your purpose? Simply to make money? Is that it? Or is the greater purpose of your company to serve well? And as a result of your great purpose that you live out, you get paid because you serve so well. You see, we often confuse a mission and vision and purpose. We conflate these two and there's so much out there and it's really not that hard Allow me to try to put into perspective these three, and then I'm going to leave you with an assignment, and we'll call it good. You see, your vision is connected to your purpose. You know, if you were to look at the personal constitution that I have, I really started wrestling with this this issue probably about 15 years ago, even though I've been working on it since 1991 and And personally, I finally just came to settle with, you know what? My purpose is determined. Love God and love people. Serve God, serve people. That's it. And then any vision that I had about something I wanted to achieve had to serve God, love God, serve people, love people. That's it. The purpose never changed because life is about servant leadership. And then whatever vision I had about something I wanted to achieve 
I at least had to say or find a way or absolutely commit to how is this serving others? And then when you have this great vision of what you want to do, undergirded by the greater purpose of who you are and what you do in all things, which is to serve people, then you have missions to accomplish within the greater vision that accomplishes your purpose. All of it points back to purpose. Jesus said it this way, to die to yourself. And I might paraphrase, so you can serve others. I absolutely believe unequivocally this is the missing piece. It is the critical key to what we are missing in today's governance, in today's business life, and personally. We're getting lost in vision statements and mission statements. We're getting lost in strategic endeavors because we have not settled and we have not continued to fight for the fact that our greatest calling is to serve and to lead by service. You have to always ask the question, what am I ultimately after in my endeavors? Honest answers to these questions or this question or where the journey begins. And I'll leave you with a so what. So stop making your purpose so hard to find. Actually, it might be right in front of you. The big challenge when you accept or if you accept the ultimate purpose is if you're working towards this higher purpose and the vision and the missions you choose to give your life and career to. And I'll conclude by saying this. I'm not so sure in the heavenly plans for life, some of you would use the term God's will or are you doing the right thing? I'm really not so con- so convinced. I'm actually fairly convinced that in the universe of what's right and what's wrong, it really doesn't matter what you choose to do as a career, as long as at the heart of it is serving people, serving God and serving others and doing what's right. Ultimately, servant leadership is really the key issue. And writers and thinkers have been talking about it, and it still never goes away. And we're where we are as a country, where we are as a people, because we have forgotten what servant leadership looks like and what servant leadership requires. My hope for you, my prayer for all of us, is that we step up to the plate of servant leadership. And one way we do that is to remember, every day, all the time, there's no such thing as a neutral moment. <laughs>